Before the podcast starts, we'd like to take a little bit of a moment just to promote our blogs where we'll be writing articles on similar topics to what we discuss. You can find Sam's blog at samketchmedia.com and you can find my blog at tomparkermedia.blogspot.com. You can also follow us on social media. You can follow Sam on Twitter through sk double underscore media. And you can find me on Instagram at Tom underscore Parker 2412. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. Hello, people, and welcome to episode four of In the Dugout. Uh, time flies when you're having fun. Eh? Um, now, if you're on the YouTube version of this, you'll be able to see on Sam's screen that we have Jen Sancho's justice for George Floyd celebration. There was other players involved in similar tributes, such as Ashraf Hakimi, Weston McKenney, and Marcus Turam. Now, of course, we would like to extend our deepest condolences to any friends and family of George Floyd. And of course, we would like to say that we do stand by this positive message of justice for George Floyd. And we stand by the peaceful protesters, hoping to make a change. And we do hope that that change can happen soon. We're not a political show, so I'm not going to sit here and make a 10-minute, 15-minute long-winded speech, but I just thought it would be nice for us uh, to, to show in uh, uh, appreciation and throw in our, our two cents for what has been a, a difficult weekend, I can imagine, for a lot of people. So with that being said, let's move on to a lighter topic and that is the football, if Sam Ketch wants to eventually rejoin me. And here he is, as if by magic, he has appeared, holding up a Justice for George Floyd sign, which you won't be able to see on the audio form, but for the YouTube form, you'll be able to see, uh, you'll be able to see that. So, welcome Sam. How, how are you feeling after this weekend? It's been a long one. You know, we've already thrown our two cents in, I'm not going to add anything more than putting the Jaden Sancho thing up and holding that sign for the people who were listening who didn't get to see that. But yeah, it, it's been a long weekend. Uh, the football has been a, a nice break from the severe and, you know, depressing stuff. We've had to see flooding our timelines and our news and, you know, being able to switch off for it for 90 minutes is, is a blessing. Um, and I know a lot of people don't have that. Right, so we're going to start off, as usual, with uh, the Bundesliga's top club and uh, dominant club. And it doesn't look like that's going to change anytime soon because Bayern Munich uh, absolutely destroyed Dusseldorf, really. It, it could have been more, let's be honest. Um, it was 3-0 at half-time, ended up being 5-0 at the full-time whistle. Dusseldorf obviously improved in the second half. They could have actually scored a goal, um, but I think it was Hoffman who could have scored from a free kick. But again, Bayern Munich, as dominant as always, fantastic goals. Alfonso Davis getting on the score sheet again. Benjamin Pavard uh, scoring the opener, of course. Tried his best to recreate that uh, superb volley that he scored at the World Cup as well. Uh, not quite the same corner though, Benjamin, so you're going to have to going to have to improve on that slightly. But, again, another dominant display. They, they're they sort of just the, they're like the steamroller, you know. They're like the, the train that just won't stop. They're the train in Grand Theft Auto. You know, everyone's tried to stop it, but it, it just keeps going. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as you say, they're the unstoppable force. Uh, they've not meet, met the immovable object just yet. But, um Hopefully, next season, which won't be too far away, weirdly, uh, as we enter June, um, they might meet that in a rejuvenated Bayern Munich. Borussia Dortmund. <laughs> yeah, hopefully they... I mean, it'd be unusual for them to play themselves, but uh, Dortmund have sort of played themselves in this title race with, uh, with that defeat, obviously, last week. But they bounced back with a 6-1 win against Paderborn. So Bayern and Dortmund, the top two sides, really smashing it out of the park today. Uh, 11 goals. Well, I mean, over the weekend, 11 goals, only one conceded. And Lewandowski, we'll, we'll, we'll go back to the Bayern game 
because of course uh, we need to sort of focus on, on, on buying. Hanse Flick has really got them playing. I mean, they were just they were unstoppable. I think Lewandowski with a brace that takes him onto forty two goals now. He's really getting close to breaking the Bundesliga scoring record. He is, yeah. I mean, uh, the first one was 42 and the second one was 43, all competitions for the season. And, you know, he is, uh, we've already mentioned, we've had our love in with him already since we returned. But he is, but he is genuinely probably the most underrated number nine uh, in world football. Um, I'd say Aubameyang, even though he's not a number nine, but I'd say Aubameyang's criminally underrated as well. Yeah, and potentially it's one of those things that comes from the fact that now we have our sort of the romanticised element goes to the number 10s, the Messis, the Ronaldos, you know, either the iconic footballers or the ones who play those creative roles as opposed to the lethal out-and-out finishers. Um, But yeah, I mean, Hansi Flick has... One of the goals, I'm trying to remember which one it was, was reminiscent of Pep Guardiola's Barcelona. Um, but yeah, Barcelona and his Bayern Munich as well. And Hansi Flick has done well to sort of revitalise that side of the team. And that's part of the squad because under Ancelotti and under Kovac, it was lost a little bit. And potentially it came from the fact that he was just an interim to begin with, but now has the job permanently it seems as though he went without pressure and just put the team into playing with a philosophy and a style which they perhaps had missed the last few years. Yeah, they they certainly have uh, more structure about them under Hansi Flick. I think under Kovac at times. I think Kovac, of course, like we said before, he fell out with Thomas Muller. So that didn't clearly help things. You know, you need to have those key figures in the dressing room on board with your ideas. And of course, if you don't have that, then it's going to be very, very difficult to get the best out of a team because you're not going to have the backing of those key figures that the players look up to and respect. Now, of course, now they they look like they're really enjoying their football. Alfonso Davies, again, with another really impressive performance. You know, he's... With this return to football, I think that... It's given fans a chance to actually catch glimpses of other players in other leagues. Now, whilst I, I do find it quite funny that now football Twitter especially is uh, sort of saying, oh, is Alfonso Davis one of the, the best left-backs in the world? Um, which is, I, th- I find quite funny because it's almost like, you know, people who haven't watched the league watch it for a few seasons. All of a sudden they know all about these uh these players and stuff it's very uh it's very weird yeah i mean it, it sort of it comes to the territory you take away people's options to watch other things and they suddenly become experts on the thing they start watching a couple of times um on alfonso davies i think that part of the thing that makes the the moderate fan gravitate towards him is also his background story the plight of his career um, and yeah, I think that he's proved himself to be one of their most important players because he, his getting used to that position has allowed Hansi Flick to move around other players and has allowed someone like David Alaba to learn or embody a bit more leadership in that central defence role, which is more difficult to do from left back. And, you know, I'm not going to say that Alfonso Davies has become the best left-back in the world because he's moved so many players along, but his incredible form has allowed Joshua Kimmich to move into the centre of midfield, Alaba and Boateng to strike up a partnership, and possibly he's the reason why they've been on such a long run and have finally reached the top of the table. Yeah, it's it's funny you bring up Kimmich because... Um... He's been superb, and we already know he's a world-class, you know, player. He can play right back, he can play defensive midfield, central midfield. You know, he's a very versatile player. But he's he watching him consistently 
really, you know, gives you an idea of how good he is. I mean, for the first goal, oh no, sorry, for the for Lewandowski's first goal, he just shows a really good burst of pace, cuts it back, a couple of cutbacks as well, which was really nicely worked. And then Lewandowski's on hand to turn it in. So in that sense, you know, you can see how important he is to, to that team. And he is really that Philip Lahm replacement. Yeah, absolutely. They've needed that as well. Uh, the legacy of Lahm was sort of voided the same for most of those players like Xabi Alonso as well, Robin Ribery, who left um, after so long at the club. And it'll be the same when Neuer goes and, you know, eventually in about 10 years when Kimmich goes as well. Yeah, like you said, I think that um, he will probably become one of the sort of stalwarts of the side because I think he is very similar to Philip Lahm in the sense that, you know, they can play multiple positions and pretty much the same positions as well. It's quite scary how similar they actually are. Uh, Now, whilst I think Kimmich has probably got more pace about him, I think in terms of they're both, they were both very technically, they're both very technically gifted. They both played right back, defensive midfield, central midfield. So it is quite scary to see how similar they are. But yeah, I think Kimmich has been fantastic. Summarised by his goal, of course, against Dortmund uh, last time out, which was an excellent finish. And mm-hmm. he, he really... before, before we move on, can I just um, take a moment uh, to talk about their opponents today, Dusseldorf, uh, not today, but over the weekend, Dusseldorf. Um, I feel like the important thing for them is that they don't get demoralised by a drubbing from Bayern Munich. Much better teams than them have been hammered in the past. If yeah, they're going to stay yeah. up, if they're going to keep in the fight uh, at the bottom end, end of the table, they have to keep the morale. That's on Uwe Rossler and that's on their you know, key players to keep them motivated you know perhaps they lack someone like I've mentioned his sort of leadership qualities an Alaba um they maybe lack someone like that not someone with the playing ability as much as that would help but just someone who steps in and suddenly provides some extra leadership yeah after their after their win against Schalke I don't think they can be too down on themselves I mean they're certainly well within the relegation fight I mean, they're, they're not out of it. They're still on 27 points, which is only a point off Mainz, who, of course, lost today. So, it's not all doom and gloom for Dusseldorf, I think. You know, they still very much have a chance of staying up. As do quite a few of the teams, to be fair. I think the the, uh, the relegation race is proving up, is, is turning to be... Uh, very in- en- Well, very entertaining, really. There's plenty of teams that could still go down. One of those which we'll get on into uh, into in a bit. But if we uh, move on to a team in second place, actually scored more goals than Bayern, believe it or not. But obviously it was the the same deficit. So look into that what you will. But it was, of course, Borussia Dortmund's game today uh, where they smashed basement boys out of place, but proud to be there, Paderborn. And it was... An absolute drubbing. Jaden Sancho, of course, the big story. Back into the side. Hat-trick on his return. Lovely celebration. And lovely goals all around. Actually, I thought all of Dortmund's goals were really well worked. And that is one thing I do I do like about Lucien Favre's style of play, is that they can play very nicely. You know, they can play it around very nicely, Dortmund. No Erling Haaland, which was interesting. But a strong lineup, nevertheless. You know, they started with their typical formation. But yeah, it was Torgan Hazard and Jane Sancho uh, that played up top. Instead of a front three, they went with a front two. I think it was a good call, a bit of extra energy. Like we said last time, they have been tentative with Jane Sancho. They haven't tried to rush him back in too much. And they haven't tried to, you know, get him back into the action before he's fit to play. But he certainly looked on form today. Three good goals. Position, okay, a couple of them were, well, one of them was a tap-in, but you've got to be well-positioned. You know, it's all about awareness, positional awareness. And he is the first English player to have double figures 
in goals and assists in the same season in Europeans in <clears throat> in Europe's top five leagues since Matt Letizia over twenty years ago. So he's certainly pulling up big numbers. I think seventeen goals and sixteen assists for him this season. How good has he been for Borussia Dortmund? Incredible. Uh, I think that you know it's easy for English fans to get lost in the you know he's the next big thing and everything like that because we do it so often. But I think the the more staggering thing is that at such a young age he went to Dortmund and has made a difference after being sort of not maybe put out of the, the frame at Manchester City because he was so young, but he maybe saw a path to elite level football through going somewhere else and working his way potentially back to Man City or to another club of their stature uh, within the game in the current era. Yeah, I think not a lot of young players will make that move. And I think a lot of them would settle for, you know, a place, a low move to the championship or League One. But he made a big call in saying, no, I want to leave Manchester City. Bearing in mind, of course, Manchester City are you know, a big club now. Uh, well, they, they, they do have a, a good amount of history, but you know, they are a superpower club now. And he turned his nose upon them, went to a, a different country, didn't speak the language, in search of first-team football. And I think that he sort of started a trend now, in that sense, because we've seen... A lot of English players or a lot of young English players sort of look for football in the Bundesliga. You know, we've got Reese Oxford, John Joe Kenny, uh, Rabi Matondo, Schalke, to name a few. So for me, I think it's, it's an excellent opportunity for these young English players. And for a nation that obviously we've considered our rivals, I think it's quite ironic that they're sort of the ones giving our young players a helping hand. But do you think that it depends on the player, or do you think that the Bundesliga is probably the best route overall for English players trying to, you know, make it into elite level football? I think that any club who pushes, you know, we've discussed the Farmers League tag of the Bundesliga, Serie A, Liga, and La Liga. Any, I think that any young English player who wants to move to a foreign club at that age has to firstly weigh up two things, football itself and everything else. They have to weigh up the stature of the club, how likely that club is to give them um, a spotlight. So when you move to Dortmund or Schalke, you're going to be seen because they are bigger clubs within the Bundesliga as opposed to if they'd gone to Paderborn or Mainz, for example. But the second thing is you have to work out what kind of person you are and find find a club that find a club and a place that fit your kind of lifestyle and your culture. Um because I think for Sancho he's chosen a place and a club which is quite English in style. There's lots of, you know, typical atmosphere uh that you'd get around an English club and I think that a lot of German clubs, because of the number of international players they have, have a lot of well-trained, well-English people who speak English well. Um, and I think that's been very important and probably the reason why he's taken off so well compared to perhaps someone like Ethan Ampadu or Rabi Matonda. Not to say that they've been bad, but just that at Leipzig and Schalke, they perhaps don't have the infrastructure to accommodate and... 18-year-old, 19-year-old English or Welshman. Yeah, I think that it's it's a tough decision for a lot of young players. And of course, one of the topics for English football has been blooding through younger players and trying to, you know, be like Germany in that sense or be like France, you know. They have this endless, seemingly endless conveyor belt of of talent. And... Of course, it's difficult to, to replicate that because every country is different. But I think that at the moment, we do have a, a good group of players. And I think that Sancho's really proved himself. I think it's a big 
moment for him getting that hat trick, especially on his first game back. You know, there was a few little criticisms for him in that Bayern game. He didn't quite have the impact that maybe he could have. But you can see with him in the side, I think, for me, Dortmund are a better team with him in the team. Yeah, they are. I think, uh, weirdly, going back to the start when we initially talked about Sancho, uh, this was the game to blood him out for the first time uh, from the beginning because Paderborn, all due respect, their players are far better than I am at football. They're there to make up the numbers. Um, They've proved that this season with their results and the fact they're not well off at the bottom, but, you know, six points away from the team above them and then a further two points off from the relegation playoff. This was probably the game of all of them to bring him back and see just how well he can cope. And, well, a second-half hat-trick, you know, playing the full game, it's, um, yeah, it's impressive. And he fit the system well today. He played well as a striker, um, given that the majority of his time there has been on the wing. Um, it's good to see him adapt. Yeah, I think that's... that's, that's uh... Exactly on point. And I think that at the same time, I think it's good for him to get that under his belt now and get a bit more confidence. And Dortmund as well, as a side, really, after you know a very demoralising defeat against Bayern Munich. You know, they're not going to be able to claw that back now. I mean, even Lucien Favre said that you know it was it was nigh on impossible. Uh, or a very tough task, he put it. But it is nigh on impossible with the form that Bayern Munich are in but they're they're bringing through some really interesting young players and I think for next season if they can keep a hold of them of course there's plenty of rumours about Jane Sancho going Mario Goetze he's of course leaving at the end of the season Uh, he's obviously been a good servant to the club but yeah to be honest this was a potential banana skin for Dortmund because if Paderborn nearly beat them at the start of the season uh, they went 3-0 up they were three 0 up at half time, Paderborn, and uh, they they completely bottled it, drew three three. Yeah, as you say, potential banana skin. Any game in elite football always has that challenge for the bigger side. Um, I think this time we saw, as we've been saying the entire time while football's been back, just what behind closed doors football is like. I mean. If someone perhaps wants to tell me any games thus far that have been won by the underdog or, you know, have not gone to script, then I will happily listen. But I think pretty much 99% of them have gone as you would have predicted. Yeah, that's a good point. I think it's a good point. And that brings us on to a game that we probably could have predicted, I guess, which is Mönchengladbach smashing poor little Union, who I do feel a bit sorry for now. Uh, 4-1, but it was, again, a really impressive performance by my Mönchengladbach. But two disappointing results in their past two games. and But they've got that win now. They've got back into the goals. Marcus Taram and Alessandra Player were on fire in this game. Two assists for Player, setting up Taram, and then Player himself getting a goal as well. It was, well, was his, was a just reward for his efforts. I want to sort of bring us on to, to Union Berlin because they are dangerously close now to this relegation place or playoff place. Dusseldorf are on 27 points. Union have been stuck on 31. I think they've lost every game since they've come back. And they've lost, they, they've lost convincingly, really. They haven't looked convincing in any of their games. They've been battered by Gladback, by Hertha. It's been a damaging restart for them, hasn't it? It has, and you do have to feel disappointed on their behalf because it was going so well, their debut season in the Bundesliga. They were pulling up trees. They were upsetting the apple cart for all of the cliche fans out there. But realistically, first season in the Bundesliga, they couldn't have asked for it to go any better. Bang, something bad happens. And when it does come back in football returned suddenly they're slowly dropping and you know finding themselves in a battle they thought they were clear of i think that's the thing about this 
sort of return to football is that it's almost like a completely different season for some teams. For some teams, it's been good. For some teams, the break has been damaging. The better teams we are seeing, in general, playing better. Of course, Leverkusen got were battered by Wolfsburg. But apart from that, I think that the, the big teams or the, the teams competing at the top play pretty well. Mönchengladbach and Leverkusen are the only ones that have really stumbled at points, I guess you could say. But then Dortmund lost to Bayern, so you could say that about them. But you can just see the gap in quality, I think, between the top five and the rest of the division. It's just, I mean, you can you can see even in the goal difference, you know, it's just a completely different sort of group of teams at, uh, at the moment. It's just, there's such a big disparity. And, you know, it is enjoyable to watch because you get to see more goals. But as well, you know, you would like to, to see a bit more competitiveness. But Munching Gladbach again, they, they roll on. Uh, they go back into third position, which after dropping points in two games, I think that's pretty good. You know, they're right back in it. And of course, only on goal difference. If Leipzig win their game tomorrow, uh, they will go on to 58 points and shoot straight back into third. But that's the sort of top four that it is at the moment. It's just, you know, depending on the results, it can change every week, which keeps us on our toes and it keeps the teams on their toes as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that this was the kind of result they might have needed to maybe solidify the confidence and make sure that there wasn't any more wobbles with five games to go. Um, If they want to, you know, really cement their... If they want to really cement their place in the Champions League places, they have to make sure that there are no silly mistakes with five games to go, and be aware of their goal difference. They're four ahead of Leverkusen now, but given, as we've seen, with the amount of goals scored by Dortmund and Bayern this weekend, if Leverkusen can have one game where it's like that, that goal difference swings the opposite way. Yeah, I think that's that's one of the things, you know, because this race is so close, I think the goal difference could actually play a very big part as to who finishes where. I genuinely think that someone could miss out on the Champions League because of goal difference. So team for, for these teams, it's important for them to try and just score as many goals or win by big, the biggest margins, really. And I think a lot of them have been, on, on the whole, solid defensively. I think that 4-1 defeat could really harm Leverkusen in terms of goal difference. Yeah, it could. I think the the mentality I would have if I was uh, Leverkusen would be to look at the fixtures I have left and think, okay, which one of these can I target? You know, which one of these that I have left can I look at and get the Ws in? They've got coming up Bayern Munich at home, Schalke away, Köln at home, Hertha away and they finish the season at home to Mainz. Now, they have to look at the next game against Bayern and think we need to get something from it or protect our goal difference and hope for a slip-up from the other two. Well, could they be the team to beat Bayern Munich? Could they be the team to do it? Hey, I mean, I would want them to. Uh, Of all teams that could do it with who Bayern have left, Potentially they are the strongest. Potentially they're the only club left in there who buy and play who could beat them. Uh, they have Leverkusen, Mönchengladbach, Werder Bremen, Freiburg and Wolfsburg to play. So it's, you know, they've got a difficult running and it would almost be poetic if Leverkusen beat them and then the next weekend Mönchengladbach beat them to keep both the title race and the Champions League race alive. Yeah, that would certainly uh, that would certainly throw a spanner into the works. And speaking of Leverkusen, of course they beat Freiburg one goal to nil, a clean sheet as well, which will do that defence the world of good after what happened last time out. I'm not going to bring that up too many times though. But yeah, again another good recovery. That's the thing with these teams; they seem to be bouncing back pretty well. Mönchengladbach set back, they bounce back. Leverkusen set back, they bounce back. It seems to be a common theme. But the problem is, of course, is that 
they can't allow these bounce backs to even occur in the first place. Shouldn't need to, right? They need to keep these wins going. And the teams that they've dropped points against, they should be beating. You know, if they if they lose to Bayern, then you know it's 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 Bayern Munich. You can't really you know, complain about that too much. But the teams that they've dropped points against, I mean, mentioned Gladbach dropping points against Bremen. You know, it's these little poor results that could be hurdles at the end of the season. Absolutely. I mean, look at the amount of times teams who miss out by one result, two results, look back and mention specific games where they could have done better. I mean, when Leicester won the league title, Arsenal and Tottenham uh, as the closest challengers looked at themselves and probably thought, well, if we'd been better, more consistent in X games, then we would have, you know, been right in that title hunt. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest regrets that, especially teams like Leipzig, that have dropped poor points, really, points that they should be gaining. I think there'll be a bit of a theme of, of disappointment for those teams involved. But if we go now to a team that have been inconsistent, to say the least, Wolfsburg actually lost uh, to Frankfurt. They've won a game. Your eyes and ears do not deceive you. Eintracht Frankfurt have won a game. Can you believe it? They got a draw last time out. What did we say? What did we say after that 3-3? It could be a season turning result because that's the sort of result that gives you confidence and it has they've gone and beaten Wolfsburg and I'm so proud of myself because I basically called it and I think that again it was an impressive performance Andre Silva he's back in the goals what's happened there all of a sudden he's scoring goals can you believe it from um, did it happen I, I don't think he did it was a penalty and then the man himself Daichi Kamada, the Japan international. Great player, really good up-and-coming Japanese player. One of many at the moment, to be fair. Getting the winning goal, and it was a late winning goal as well, 85th minute. That is massive, massive for Frankfurt. We said, didn't we, that slippery slope, if you can stop that and stop the rot, it makes the world of difference. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Wolfsburg, it's catastrophic of them to, you know, beat Leverkusen in the last game week 4-1 and then do this uh, literally days later. Um, but yeah, I mean, you've got you've to think that now Frankfurt should look at themselves and be thinking perhaps until the end of the season, can we get five more wins under our belt. Um, you know, even if that means upsetting the output out a few times, you know, getting some unfancied victories, they do have to do that. They have to prove to other people that they are capable. I'm looking at their fixtures for the rest of the season. Mainz, Hertha, Schalke, Köln and Paderborn. It's five easily winnable games for them, really. I mean... Mainz in the relegation playoff battle as well. The same for uh, Paderborn, who are obviously trying to pull themselves up with as many results as possible. They need to look at this and think, can it push us on? Yeah, exactly. You know, it's it's one of those results that really can can turn them turn sort of turn the ship around and move them out of that relegation battle. There's t- I think quite a few of the teams are starting to hit a little bit of form now down at the bottom. And I think that it's it's good for the league, at least, because it, it gives more entertainment. I mean, if we're talking about entertainment, we have to talk about this revitalised Hertha Berlin side. 2-0 against Augsburg. Another clean sheet, more goals. They're on absolute fire on the moment, aren't they? Absolutely, they have. Um, it's perhaps they are the most impressive team I certainly was not expecting to see that when football came back um, and yeah I mean I, I've been impressed by the upturn in form Bruno Labbadia has a lot to, to take credit for um, as far as this goes I mean it's not as though either 
they've had sort of one or two men completely, you know, carrying them through this. I've been impressed by Luca Bacchio, Ibisevic, Cunha, uh, Reni Arstein in goal, you know, Mitzelstadt has had a lot of assists and has put in a lot of good deliveries. And I was surprised by his crossing ability because I hadn't heard of him really beforehand. You know, he was a name, and but he's really put himself in in me, me mind whilst he's, whilst the football has been back. Yeah, I think that it's been a real sort of turnaround for them because they were very much mid-table when this return to football started. Now they're five points off the Europa League places. They're closing in. They're now level on points with Freiburg. I think for them, it's uh, this has proved to be quite the fruitful experience. And they've got some really good young players. Luca Bacchio is an excellent young player. And I think that with players like Cunha, Luca Bacchio, mixed in with the experienced Bundesliga players that they've already got, I think that Bruno Labbadia has certainly found a winning formula at the moment. Whether that can continue... We'll have to wait and see, but certainly at the moment, Hertha Berlin look very impressive. Still on negative goal difference, though, um, which is, as we said before, is a is a hurting factor because Hoffenheim, who of course beat Mainz one goal to nil, they're in seventh place on forty two points, but their minus eight goal difference is keeping them out at the moment of the Europa League. So. When we're talking about goal difference, it does make a massive difference. And particularly in the Bundesliga this season, I think it makes a massive difference. But it was a decent game against Mainz. Not the not the best in terms of quality, but for Hoffenheim, it was a good 1-0 away win, clean sheet. You get the three points. You can't really complain with that. Uh, it was a, a really good goal, actually, by Ihias uh, Bebu, who... Uh, Used some uh, well, took some really good strength, held up his man, lovely turn, and a really nice finish into the bottom corner as well. It was really tidy play from him. I thought uh, they they looked solid, solid if unspectacular at times, uh, but that's all you need to be really, as long as you get the results. It's another defeat at home for Mainz and another drop in points for a team that. They're getting dangerously close to that relegation playoff. Things are really starting to heat up. And as we'll talk about in a minute, the teams around them are certainly catching up. But for them, it's an Augsburg as well. You know, it's it's a tough couple of results for them. But Mainz in particular, I think, especially after that defeat at Leipzig, they they don't strike me as having enough to stay up. They've, they have been perhaps, um, I'm not going to say unlucky, but in a lot of games they've perhaps shown a lack of mental fortitude that they'd need um, to get themselves over the line, um, you know, or to drag a goal back when they need to. And I think that, their goalkeeper, um, Muller, does not deserve uh, to go down. Oh, he was brilliant this season. Fantastic. He has. Yeah. He's been. He's been great since uh, football came back. And you do just have to wonder, perhaps, if there was more of them playing to his level. Uh, I'm not saying he's, you know, the best goalkeeper in the world, but perhaps if more people had, you know, the hard-working attitude that he clearly shows because he's not just sort of like throwing himself to the shots that are close to him. We see him charging out of his goal. I've seen him throwing a slide tackle to stop someone having a shot when, you know, he could have just stood still and blamed his defence. I mean, the fellow is well, working hard. Well, didn't he? You saved yeah, the penalty. penalty. He was really good against... Two now, isn't he? Yeah, he was really good against Leipzig last time out. <clears throat> Even though they conceded five goals, he was the best player on the pitch. Uh, by mile, he was he was really really impressive. He's got great reflexes as well, and he did really well to save that free kick as well from Robert Skov or Sku, however you pronounce it. So yeah, he's he's definitely been a standout player for them, and I think you know he'll probably get a move up. I'd say to a decent Bundesliga side. So I don't think he can be too fretful with his own performances. I think he's been impressive, uh, more impressive than the Nubel. 
and uh, certainly more impressive than Schalke, who are our final game for today. We've, uh, we've gone through these a little bit quicker this time because, well, there's not as much to talk about, really. It's more sort of summing up the fixtures. There's not too much changing. Of course, when Leipzig play tomorrow, there'll be something else to talk about, which I will cover on my new little show, In the Dugout Extra, which I'll explain in a video, uh, if, if you've even listened this far. But final game, Schalke have lost and they failed to score again. It's ridiculous. I, I'm really scratching my head how bad they've been. They just, I think, they've right. They've scored one goal since coming back. They've scored one goal, and they still lost to Dusseldorf. So they've lost four nil to Dortmund. They lost three nil to Augsburg. They lost two one to Dusseldorf. And now they've lost 1-0 to Bremen. I mean, David Wagner, he's not... I don't think he's got much time left. He, he can't have, surely. I mean, this is this is awful. They're, they're so bad. Yeah, sadly. Um, it, uh, I am... Um, I consider myself basically Gary Neville, but I never bay for a manager to go. Um, I never... I'm never, you know... A wolf hunting Very for humble. blood uh, on this one. Well, you know, you have to be humble, don't you? Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's not just since football came back though that their form has been poor. They drew with Hoffenheim the last round of fixtures before Corona. Uh, they lost to Köln three nil, Leipzig five nil. Drew with Mainz. Drew with Paderborn. Um, Drew with Hertha, then lost 5-0 against Bayern. You have to go back to the 17th of January for their last victory. You know, it's a long time, especially you add in the break as well. And these players will have been thinking about that form uh, a lot during that break, especially when it was announced that the Bundesliga was coming back because they'll have been thinking about the pressures of trying to overturn such a long run of defeats or not just defeats draws as well but you know since the 17th of January for no three points if they'd not racked up so many points they would be in serious danger that they are 10 points clear of Dusseldorf with five to go suggests they may be safe um but you know all it's the teams close. below them get some victories and suddenly yeah. they'll be fretting. But of course, another goal for Leonardo Bittencourt for what is definitely a revitalised Bremen side since that 4-1 defeat to Leverkusen. I mean, what have you made of them since that defeat? Werder Bremen have pulled themselves up by the bootstraps the last couple of games. Bittencourt especially has impressed. The goal uh, in this game was seriously good. Um, I it just, really was. It was it. Yeah, it was. It was a good goal. To be fair, I just I fear that it's too little, too late, in the sense that one bad result could push them back into a position they don't want to be in. Um, well, you say that, but they're they're two points off the relegation playoff, and they're three points off safety with a game in hand. It's looking, yeah. a, it's looking a lot better for them. Because I remember when we first came back, we pretty much said that Bremen and Paderborn were, were dead and buried. But Bremen, I've really turned things around. And to be honest, out of all the teams, let's say from Augsburg in 13th, even Freiburg, uh, Freiburg Frankfurt in 12th, they're in the best form, Bremen. So you could, I genuinely think they could stay up. Uh, yeah, when I say a bad result, let's say they get trounced 5-0 um, and the teams above them don't all win necessarily, but all get at least a point um, in a round of fixtures and suddenly things look more difficult regardless of having a game in hand. Their game in hand is against Frankfurt, who, as we've just said, that victory could be the turning point. 
um, or the draw, and then the victory could be a turning point for their season. It's going to be interesting. I am more interested in seeing how they get on in that game as a means of testing how they'll do, you know, for the rest of the season. That's that's on Wednesday. They play each other. By next weekend, if they've won, suddenly we're talking about a different relegation battle. But if they've lost, we're now then talking about how they react to that defeat. Yeah, I think that's a good point, to be fair. I think if they lose and Mainz and Dusseldorf get a point or get a win, then all of a sudden the deficit grows and, and they'll lose confidence. But I think they will gain confidence from the fact that they're winning and the count of the, you know, the teams around them aren't in the best of form. And to be honest, I actually think this relegation battle is going to be very, very entertaining. And particularly towards the last few games, I reckon it could be really close. If it's still like this with two, three games to go, I genuinely think that it's worth tuning in just for this relegation battle because you're going to see a lot of teams scrapping it out. Maybe not the same emotion because the fans aren't there, but... Yeah, true. There's there's not that passion element. There's more that there's more the mercenary th- side of things. You'll see players playing for the sake of top flight football, uh, the paycheck that that comes with, or if they think they're not going to stay up, at least the transfer away. Someone like Leonardo Bittencourt could feasibly get himself a move. He's got that reputation that he had when he was a wonder kid. Well, uh, Rashica um, as well. Uh, Rashica, the uh, Kosovan international. Yes. Ringer for Werder Bremen has been very good as well. So. Yeah, exactly. So there's there's multiple, uh, multiple players in that battle who can earn themselves a move. And I do worry a little bit for football if it stays behind closed doors for a long period of time, not for the, you know, not for the everyday fan or anything like that, but just for the the sheer, you know, we have seen the sort of mercenary behaviour go wherever the biggest paycheck is, whilst there are fans. If there's no fans to sort of cheer these guys on, there's no real you know, push, drive for them to return um, to clubs, you know. You don't you don't see many players now who pick the lesser play like the lesser paying club. Um, and if it stays behind closed doors for a long period of time, I I don't like the behaviour of footballers. Um on the pitch and in terms of negotiating and what they do with who they play for. So I do worry for the sake of football and the people who perhaps pay the wages of these footballers, at lesser clubs like Paderborn. Is there the argument that Paderborn's players won't get stolen because they've not been impressive enough? Yes, but you have to look at it and be reasonable the relegation battle is so vital for these clubs because if there's no fans to keep these players there, they will all just be looking for moves. And that is a, you know, a worrying thing for football that because we don't know when the fans are going to be back, these players aren't necessarily thinking of them anymore. Well, the rate this uh, country's going, I think fans will be back by next season. Don't worry. (laughs) Um, yeah, no, I do think that it's it, it is a weird one because even if next season we don't have fans, it's it's going to be very odd. But at the same time, I think because there's much less of a pre-season now, it might not seem as weird because it's almost like one season ends and then two, three weeks later, a new one begins. So... I don't think it will have the same effect, maybe, because it's the transition will be more fluid. But mm. we'll have to we'll have to wait and see. We'll have to wait and see. But that will wrap up the Bundesliga for today. Now, before we end this episode, of course, 
the return dates for the Syria and La Liga were confirmed, with La Liga coming back on the 11th of June and Syria coming back on the 20th of June. So this podcast is about to get very busy because we're going to have the Premier League, Syria and Liga, uh, not Liga, La Liga, all coming back within the same week, pretty much, within the same sort of 10-day period. So there's going to be a lot of fixtures to get through. Now, we're going to select the weekend fixtures for this podcast. So this will come out every Sunday based on the Friday and to Sunday matches. And any midweek games I'll be covering by myself in, in, the, in the Dugout Extra, which will just be my normal piece to camera with the pictures on top, a bit of funny editing, that sort of thing. Just a little bit more uh, experimental, I guess, is what you could call in the dugout extra. It's just going to be me seeing how far I can go with editing at this point and seeing what I can come up with. So if you want to check out in the dugout extra for a bit more fun, I guess, in terms of video style, maybe. And, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll be clean cut. I'm a, I'm a clean cut guy. I'm a family friendly channel. But I'm also going to be bringing out more... Uh, general videos as well so i'm going to be doing uh, discussion videos uh a video on uh, i've got a video on some subreddits and stuff coming out as well just for a bit of fun just to sort of you know mix up the content if you will but with the syria premier league and la liga on the way in the dugout is almost back to its full schedule and i for one cannot wait and sam uh i hope you can't wait either because i need to i am I am looking forward to seeing other leagues and more than just the same 18 clubs. Well, there you go. That's his two-piece or two cents on that. I'm personally, the Premier League, I'm absolutely buzzing. I'm so excited for the Premier League to be back. And I hope you guys will be there to join us when it does. So thank you for listening to this episode and we hope you will join us for the next one. But until then, take care. Rest in peace, George Floyd.